that is where we're going to be teaching from tonight. I'm going to read just a couple verses of that. I need to warn you, I'm reading from the King Jimmy, so it might sound like something foreign to you. (laughs) But I just love the way the King Jimmy flows. Um, So to begin with in here, we know that the text of Matthew probably isn't the most appropriate one on an Easter Sunday. I really tried to come up with something else, but the more I tried to squeeze blood out of a turnip, the less uh, effective it sounded, so I just threw it away and went back to what I originally had, which you're going to find out is going to have a lot of the same terminology and phrases that Alan used this morning, so it looks like that wasn't appropriate. Uh, portion of scripture. So the purpose of this, before I read a little bit that I'm going to read, just so that we have a context, is Jesus is talking specifically to the 12, and he's sending out specifically to 12. This isn't where he sends out the 72. This is just the 12 he's sending out. And then he gets into a part where he says, persecution is coming. So the emphasis of tonight is, what does he mean by persecution is coming? And how does that affect us? But let's start. So he names off the 12 apostles to begin with. And then he's, he sets them out. So let's start at verse Let's start at verse 5 and just read a few verses here. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles uh, and into the, any city of Samaritans, Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preaching, say, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, neither script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staffs. For the workman is worthy of his meat, and into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go hence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if that house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, Shake the dust off your feet. Verily I say to you, it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for this city. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless tonight your word. Let it be strong. Let my words be true. Let them be uh, a blessing and even a conviction as to what our life should look like in Christ, especially considering today that we have celebrated the fact that you rose from the grave and you ascended into heaven and you're now at the right hand of God the Father. Heavenly Father, bless this time in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what he did is tell them after the resurrection and before 
what he's telling them was before the resurrection, and it's going to continue on after the ascension. That's how it's going to be um, valid to us and important to what we have. So after the resurrection, Matthew 18, or 28, 18 through 20, you guys know that, and Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's the power of the resurrection. That's what Alan was teaching this morning. That's what, that is the assurance of our faith right there that Christ rose from the dead. He has power over the grave. But what came to us came after the ascension. He tells us in John chapter 14 that he has to go away. Because if he doesn't go away, then the Holy Spirit won't come. And we really wanted the Holy Spirit. That was important to us. We can't function without the Holy Spirit. We aren't a believer without a new man and a Holy Spirit. But at his ascension, he tells him in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. So this study is going on from there. What to expect? He tells them what to, they're going to expect when they go out and they're preaching the gospel to all nations. But it's valid to us because we're preaching the same thing. We're preaching what they were preaching. So this isn't a deep study on text because we don't have that kind of time. But an overview of the whole chapter. And, we'll, and hopefully we'll receive the benefit of the theme and the purpose of what Christ is telling them and expect and what they are to expect after he's gone. So the theme is the presentation of the word of God. The purpose is to make disciples later after uh, he has gone, he's risen and he's ascended. So Matthew 10 is about, to, about the sending out of the 12 and the persecution that would follow as they started preaching the word. So verses 1 through 4 are, are just telling us the apostles' names. These are the 12 that they send out. Verses 5 through 15, he's saying, now he's sending them out, just the 12, uh, for what after the resurrection will be the, the Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations. This is a trial run in preparation for that time later when these men would build a New Testament church and they would be the authors of the New Testament and complete the canon. So how did Israel, how would Israel know that these 12 were authentic? Well, Jesus tells them, preach, saying the kingdom of God, heaven is at hand. That's the same thing Jesus first said when he came out of the chute and, and Mark Chapter 1, verse 14, he immediately started preaching the kingdom, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So that's exactly what he's telling them. But the authenticating part would be heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So these authenticating signs and wonders would stay with them and stay with the church until the completion of the canon. Because this was how, when 
they didn't have the word of God as we have it, how they knew that what was being said to them was of God. And the people that were saying it were authorized by God, by these signs and wonders. And we read some of that in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12 through 14, but that has been so mutilated over the years that maybe that's something we'll teach on at some point because <laughs> that really has been destroyed. Notice here that even Jesus Iscariot, who, who in the next verse could be categorized as a wolf in sheep's closing, is, is being also given the same gifts as the rest of them. Though Christ knew he would be the one to uh, turn him over to the authorities, he still gives him every opportunity to be one of the 12 and have the same power and authority as the 12. And that really speaks to the mercy and the graciousness of Jesus Christ on this earth and what he extends to us. Now Jesus makes them aware of what awaits them as true believers in Christ and what awaits us as true believers in Christ. Verses 16 through 26. Verse 16 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. As we grow in Christ, these traits will become true in our lives. We will become gentle as sheep, wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. In verses 17 and 18, he says, But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So the life of the believer was not meant to be easy. None of us that I know of in this room or anyone that I know of in America has been scourged, um, but many around the world have. And we know that Christ was. So we do need to understand that we, we could be in that category, and we have to be willing to be in that category. And we have to understand that the time is coming that even in America, that may become a reality for believers. We see even now how um, our authorities over us are, are becoming more and more blatantly anti-Christian. That's a good thing, people, because that means we're drawing closer to the end. Or we can hope that means we're drawing closer to the end. But it also means that our faith may be put to the test, and that's a good thing because we grow in faith when it's put to the test. We don't grow when there's no opposition. We grow in opposition. So we have to be willing to bear the testimony of Christ and be the light to the world that is a dark world. We have to be that light and salt. Verses 19 and 20 say, But when they, Christ tells them, When they deliver you up, do not worry about what you will say or what you should speak. For it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the, Holy, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So when you're persecuted for your faith... Whatever form that might take, have faith that the Holy Spirit is right there with you. And the Holy Spirit will guide and direct your answers. To sit around your house and think, okay, if this happens, what am I going to... 
It won't happen that way. And, and depending on how severe the persecution is, you won't even be able to remember what you were thinking about. All your practice will go right down the tubes. Your survival is not based on your eloquent speech or in your ability to baffle them with your brilliance. Amen. We trust in Christ through the word. The power is in the word of God, not in what we say. So on that, if anyone comes up to this pulpit for this congregation and does not speak the word of God, he's just giving you empty rhetoric. What you want to do is perceive that you want always to have the word of God before you. You want people who are teaching you and standing firm and making your foundation the word of God. So verse 21, this is where the persecution really starts coming in. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father is child. And children will raise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Look at where the opposition is coming from. It's within the family. It's not strangers. It's your, the first one Christ mentions is your closest family members. That's why last time we spoke, and in Luke 14, 26, Christ is so insistent on that we have to make a choice. That we, we, is, this is the either or that we were talking about last time. Not more or less. This is either or. Everyone before salvation is in the same category. It's called misery loves company. That's where all the lost people are there. Your relationship is based, or your relationship then with them was based on a mutual hatred for God and a love for sin, and you had no opposition, so everybody was happy. Once you got saved, you became obviously different. And your differences set you apart from them because your wants, desires, your mannerisms, your speech, everything changed. You're a new person. You're not doing the same stuff. And now it's, it's, it's a, a glaring example to all those people that knew you before, knew you in your lost state, saying, what happened here? What's wrong with this person? We, he's not like us anymore. And believe me, I've heard that a lot. But I heard that when I was lost, too. So <laughs> I've never been like people. But it's not that your loved ones don't love you. They just can't tolerate you because of your love for Christ. And that, that has to happen. That When you are so diametrically opposed to everything they are, and they're so diametrically opposed to everything you are, you're, you're like two magnets that you can't get them to touch each other because now they're, they're opposites, right? So we have to expect that we're going to have trouble, and that trouble is going to come first in our families. So what we're saying here is we need to tolerate our families. We, we need to, because of the love of Christ, we need to pray for our families, not say, all right, you don't like me, I'm gone, so I'm out of here. We continue to pray for them and seek God's will in their life and seek the Holy Spirit to give them a new man and to take away that heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. Because we absolutely adore Christ, we can't ignore our family. We need to be all the more 
uh, desiring of our family's salvation, but understanding that that separation is going to come first in them. In verse 22, he says, And when you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Hatred in this verse is the same word we had in the last study, Maseo. And it means to utterly despise, be a diametrically opposed to, be unable to tolerate. This is not just a possibility, it's a fact. The more they see Christ in you, the more you can expect them to hate you for what you are. And that is a ribbon around your neck. That's a victory uh, crown on your head because they're seeing Christ in you. If all they see is you and all the words they get are your words, they're not going to get saved. They need to see Christ in you. They need to hear the word of God. The word of God's going to save them, not you. So it's not, this is not just a possibility, it's a fact. And the more they see Christ, the more they hate you. But guess what? Paul tells us in Romans 8, 18, that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So you may be the catalyst that brings your whole family to Christ or that first person in your family that was the one that stepped out in faith and brought Christ into your family and everyone said, get the weirdo away from me. But as they got to know them better, whether it be a mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, whatever, and they started seeing that the changes were real, then they start looking more closely. When they start looking more closely, now they start listening to your words. When they start listening to your words... That's when you start giving them the word of God. Because the word of God will change them. Verse 23 says, When they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For surely I say to you that you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I'd really, really like to spend some time on that, but we cannot do that here. So I'm going to give you some pointers here. As you are fleeing from one city to another because of persecution, you're also taking the word of God to another city that you wouldn't have gone to if you weren't being persecuted. That's how everything went out from Jerusalem. Persecution came, they fled. When they fled, they took the, the word of God to all these other places. And the word of God started spreading. So persecution, again, I say, is good. Not good when you're going through it, but... That is how we start going and making disciples. I have been fired from two jobs for being a believer. But it sent me to other jobs where I got to live a testimony before them that I wouldn't have went to if I hadn't been fired. So it, it was a horrible thing at the time to get fired. Well, I, one of them was, and I kind of laughed and we moved on. But... <laughs> The fact that you're out of an income is a horrible thing. But if you know you're fired for the sake of Christ, you don't really worry about the income because you know God has something else there. <laughs> you just move on and wait. Both times, I, I, I really, uh, it was a blessing what happened. It was a blessing in our marriage and it was a blessing in our lives. And hopefully it was a blessing to those places I went because Christ was brought into places that had not heard Christ before. So, <clears throat> we see that Christ, 
can we see here Christ saying, be militant, fight for your rights? Is that what he's saying here? When they persecute you in one city, be militant. Stand up for your rights. They can't tell you you can't be a Christian. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that we need to be gentle as sheep, harmless as doves. Not to resist. We're told in Philippians 2.13, for it's God who works in you both the willing to do of his good pleasure. He's not telling you to be militant. Christ was not militant. Believe me, deep within my old sin nature, I love the militant aspect. I've always said I have no reverse, and that has been to my shame. But here we're told, if we wait on God in his mercy to open those doors, that even in our persecution, in our gentleness and in our kindness, And in our love for the lost, we can be an example that God will use to bring a lost person to his kingdom. And if that happens once in your life and you stand before God, that's going to be a glorious thing. Even if it's one. Even if they don't come to Christ, the fact that you gave them the opportunity and you gave them the word of God. That's a tremendous blessing before God. So we don't want to be militant. We want to be gentle. We want to be what our Christ was. And he was not militant. In fact, he was so not militant that when he was being crucified, the very men that were crucifying him, he was determining their next heartbeat. So even beyond not being militant, he was keeping them alive and making sure everything in their life was happening in their bodies the way it should so that they could crucify him, so that he could die for our sins, so that he could raise from the grave, and that we could have the assurance of faith, and that he could ascend back to his throne in heaven so that we could have the Holy Spirit and the seal of our righteousness. Right? So it all makes sense. So in verses 24 through 26, a He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's not enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher or a servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. I'm sorry, revealed. And nothing hidden that will not be shown. So, I really needed a water, but I brought a Coke. And when I drink Coke, I belch, and I didn't think it'd be a good idea to be sitting, be sitting up here letting them rip. <laughs> that, that would really be a heathen introduction to the gospel. <laughs> so he's saying here, let, let's go to, well, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm focusing on, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and nothing, thank you, my dear, I appreciate it, that will not be known. So, should we expect any better treatment than the one we're seeking to emulate in our life? 
If Christ, if, if Christ died for our gain, should we not be willing to die for the gain of Christ, for our testimony of Christ? Remember, dear ones, First or Second Corinthians five ten, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one of us will receive things done in his body according to that he has done, whether good or bad. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. We will stand before God, and we will have our our gold and silver and, and precious stones, and I know I'm going to have this tremendous bonfire, wood, hay, and stubble. And all the bad things I did. But what I'm looking forward to is to seeing how many people, when I had presented the gospel or lived a life of Christ before them, how many people that affected. So Romans 12, 17 through 19 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That would be the hardest thing in the midst of persecution to remember. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Because we in our flesh want to attack when we're attacked. Married people, we know this for real, huh? <laughs> one says the wrong thing, pushes the wrong button, the other one's on the offensive now, right? So just think of that worldwide. If believers, every time somebody pushes their button, attacks them, are we any different than they are? No. But we want to be different. We want to be Stephen. We want them to see us as they've seen the face of an angel be a pretty ugly angel but if they can see some sense of purity and honesty in me amen I'm all for it and I know that anyone that that has done something bad against me and they're being paid back for that by God whether in this life or in the end and I pray that instead of them being paid back for what they've done to me that God saves their soul brings them into the kingdom. It's much better. So verses 27 and 28. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We preach the word of God. That's the power of God. Man can and has done horrible things to believers. But as far as I know, none of us have been in that category. So, but what we want to remember is, even as our Savior suffered, that that suffering is a momentary pain. And when that momentary pain is gone, we enter an eternity of glory. Remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross? We heard it this morning. Today you'll be with me in paradise. His momentary pain was an afternoon on a cross, which would be excruciating. But when he died, he entered into glory. 
whatever pain we suffer for for living for Christ on this earth, um, even to being burned at the stake, if you're burned at the stake, it's, it's only a matter of minutes and you're dead. So you go through that momentary pain and when you die, you wake up in heaven. To, to me, that's a great escape. I, I love that idea. Kill me now if I'm going to heaven. Why wait? Why wait for persecution? Let's go. <laughs> but we have to wait because God has a plan for our lives. And in that plan, we're to be here preaching his word. So heaven and hell are eternal realities. Our time on earth is temporary and fleeting. So should we fear what is temporal when we're looking into the light of glory and into eternity? No. The temporal goes away. James 4.14 says, What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. And I thought about that today. This morning, I, I make eggs for us every morning. We, we like our egg mornings. And I kind of steam them so that they get... They get, they stay yolky, but they aren't gooey. We don't like gooey. We just want yolky. But when you take that lid off and that steam goes out of there, that's our life. Because it's not even a split second, that steam's gone. And the, in the thought of all of eternity, if you live to be 100 years old, that's that vapor. It's gone. It's no time at all. When we're young, we think, oh, my goodness, time drags on. When you get old, you think, oh, my goodness, where did time go? But in reality, on both sides of that, you're gone in a moment. Your life is but a vapor. Verses 29 through 31 say, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore... You are, worth, you are much more value than sparrows. God is in every detail of our lives. There is no such thing as an insignificant event or action before the living God who is ensuring every minute detail of your life. Nothing insignificant. Verse 33, 32 and 33 say, Therefore, whatsoever... Hmm. Whosoever confesses me before man, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whosoever denies me before man, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So there we have proof. God is not in heaven wringing his hands, hoping somebody will come to him and accept him as their Lord. He says, you deny me, I deny you. And you Speak of me, I will speak of you. You love me, I will love you. We know that God loves us first and loves us best. But that doesn't mean that we can ignore him. God wants us to go out and God will put things in our... I, I like, you know, I hate the, the evangelist type stuff that says, God wants you to do... If God wants you to do it, you're going to do it. But... What he does is set up situations to force you in, of your own will to do that which he's willing you to do. It's called secondary cause. Ours is secondary cause. God says, I want you to talk to this person. 
we say, I ain't tithing him. That's crazy. I, I'm not. I can't do that. And God forces a situation until someone comes up to you and says, Are you a believer? Well, now you're stuck. Now you got to tell them, right? That is God willing us to do his will. And after he wills us to do his will and we do it, ever so unwillingly, he blesses us for it because we're dummies. And we need to have his help there. But after we see it, how easy that worked and how great we felt after we presented the gospel to somebody and if that person actually accepted Christ, what it did in their life, oh my goodness, we want to find another one. Go out and find another victim. We're going to preach God Christ to the world, right? But God set that up. God does it his way. He's in charge of every minute detail of our lives. So, He's not up there wringing his hands. He's actually a sovereign God over all things. And he's saying, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. And let's see where that goes. If you preach me, I will present you before the Father. And let's see where that goes. That's what we want. So Christ now is stating the reality of the great struggle between good and evil that's brought, <clears throat> that Christ brought in his life, death, resurrection, and finally, in his ascension back, sorry, back to the throne in heaven. So we can never look at the resurrection without looking at the ascension. One is only a partial completion. The, the resurrection assured us of salvation, right? It, it is Christ, if Christ no longer dies, we will no longer die if we are in him. He has the power over death. The ascension back to the throne tells us, he, when, when he in Matthew 28 says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The ascension was that power. The ascension was, my kingdom is now. I'm reigning now. You are my children now. You have eternal salvation now when you believe in Christ Jesus. That's the resurrection and the ascension. Verse 34. Do not think that I have come to send peace on the earth. I come not to send peace but a sword. So the reality is believers receive peace in their soul and they have peace with God as they have a new man and the Holy Spirit. That's the peace we do have but not on earth which is ruled by the prince or the power of the air the spirit that now works in the children in disobedience. With them, we can have no peace. So we just need to keep that in mind. 35, I'm going to work quicker because I know I'm going probably 400 minutes over time. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Is Christ saying that he's causing it? No. He's saying it's a reality. Because I am, this will happen. Because I am, we can't get away from the reality of the, the consequences. If you are saved, you are separated from the world. If you are separated from the world, you will suffer persecution in one way or another. In America, we think persecution is people don't want to talk to us. I'm sure 
the guys that were burned on the stakes and hind and quartered and ripped apart by animals, they would have accepted being ignored by others because they're a Christian, right? That's not persecution, people. In some ways, that can be a blessing. The first resistance we receive is our closest family members, then everyone else. Uh, Christ says he's not instigating hatred, but hatred will be a fact because you are now light and salt like he was light and salt. And that will always bring a reaction. If you're a true disciple, people are going to see that. So what does he tell James and John and Matthew? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? They said to him, we are able. He said unto them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm being baptized with. We all fit that category. We all have to be willing in our minds to say, anything you want, Lord, is exactly what I want to do. Anywhere you send me is exactly where I want to go. Any persecution that you bring before me, let me honor you in a way that I accept it. That's, that's where we have to be. Verse 37, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is plain language. We can't pick our family over our God. I've had, I've had so many interactions with so many older people our age. Mine and Nanette's age. We're, we're probably pushing up more than the rest <laughs> on the years. We both have children. Well, they're both our children. Our children do not want anything to do with us because of Christ. They're, they're 48 and 46, 49 and 47, somewhere in that category. They aren't, they aren't little kids anymore, and they've made their own choice. And they will tell you specifically that we were hypocrites when they were young, and now we're not. And they would rather have had us hypocrites than what we are now because they see Christ in us now. And we pray that God uses that sometime in their life. But we can't take them over Christ. We have to pray for them. We have to love them. We have to hope that they are of the elect and they're coming to Christ at some point in their life. But we don't have control of that. All we can do is love them and wait. But we have to understand that the separation is because they see Christ in us. And we have to glorify God for that. And they've, they've admitted that. Oh, oh, you guys are nothing like what you used to be. Amen. That was terrible. So our loyalty must always be to Christ first. We are to love our family, pray for their salvation, but never deny Christ for the sake of our family or friends. Verse 38, and he who does not take up his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. If Christ suffered and died at the hands of men, then we need to be willing to suffer and die at the hands of men. His humiliation, we have to be willing to have it be our humiliation. Why would we think that Christ would accept anything less of us than what he had himself. 
What does Christ tell Ananias about Paul on the road to Damascus? For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Paul, right off the bat, hi, you're saved. Let me tell you what you're going to suffer for that. You're going to be whipped. You're going to be put in prison. You're finally going to be beheaded. You're going to be stoned. You're going to be left for dead. You're going to be shipwrecked. Paul learned that right away. And look what a tremendous force he was for Christ. He who finds this life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's our crossroad. Which way will you go? Which way will you choose? Will you follow the easy route and lose the blessing of being, being used of God in other people's lives? Or will you choose the hard road and say, I want to be there when God wants to use me. I want to be there for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to have them in my home. I want to pray with them. I want to be part of each other's lives for the good and for the bad. I, I, don't, I don't want them over only if they're nice to me. I want them over even in their nastiness. I want them over even when they're in sin and, and, and all I can do is pray for them. I want them there. I want to be part of their lives. That's what we as, as believers have to be to one another. We, we can't be in our own little cocoon, walk into church, walk out of church, hi, hi, poof. The poof has to go. We can't have that. We have to love one another, desire one another, be in one another's lives, be in one another's face when we see sin in their lives. Love them enough to speak to them. Verse 40, he who receives me, no, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a rich, a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whosoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. There is no deep, obscure meaning to this section. This is Luke 6.31. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Are you a loyal, beloved disciple of Jesus Christ and honored to help other believers in particular and the lost in general? Do you have compassion can you show compassion? Will you show compassion? Does your heart leap when you're introduced to somebody and find out they're a believer? Or does it not matter to you? Do you even consider it significant that this chance meeting even happened and you learned that that, that person you're talking to is a believer? What is your desire towards your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it go in peace, be warmed and filled? Or a deep longing to know them better and be part of their lives? No one can answer these questions for any of us. Each of us needs to answer them alone before God in our lives. So let's close with Ephesians, and I know... Our dear elder is saying, knuckleheads getting ready to close. Let's close with Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this evening. Father, I pray for this congregation who is seeking a full-time shepherd. Um, Not that they don't have two marvelous shepherds already, Father. And we want to acknowledge that these men have loved and kept this church together, have grown them in Christ, and we thank you. We thank you for all they do and your guidance and according to your will. But they are seeking a full-time shepherd. Father, I pray that you would open to them the windows of heaven, pour them out a blessing that they would not be able to receive it all. Father, these dear ones love you, they seek you, they live for you, and I pray, Father, in your mercy and in your kindness, that you will give them that which they are desiring, that you would grant them a full-time shepherd and that they would see a growth in this church, maybe not even uh, numerical, but a growth in their love and the desire for one another and a closeness within them to each other that would glorify you in all that they think, do, and say. We love you, Father. We thank you for all things. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for what Christ did for us on the cross and for his resurrection and ascension. Father, bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.